message. We were in Matthew 22, if you remember. Those of us who just joined us, maybe from Patch and Pee Wee, he'll just kind of, kind of catch up. We'll just allude to a couple things. And so looking at this passage, we're trying to build up to this part of Matthew chapter 22. And so last week, as we did so um, in Matthew chapter 22, we saw, first of all, the four groups of people that are found within this chapter. And these are uh, different groups, different leaders even, who conspired together to derail Christ's impact, his ministry the people they didn't like the influence that he was having and so they came to the conclusion we need to get rid of him and uh, each one of these groups came to that. They, they were coming at a different angle each of them we looked at their background who are they what, what is historically what did they believe what did they hold to and we saw the overlap in many of the groups and yet they all opposed Jesus Christ and you remember these four groups the Pharisees the Sadducees the Herodians the scribes the lawyers pretty synonymous and we saw some overlap with it and it culminated as Christ's fame and, and popularity grew and uh, people were following him and they were excited about him, especially during his triumphal entry. We'll talk about that tonight. Uh, the fact was, they got to the point, it, it reached that boiling point where they wanted it, they had to do something about it. And we saw in John eleven forty seven, 47, <clears throat> they asked this question, what do we? What do we? In saying, what do we with this Christ? And that was our question last week. What do we with this Christ? And uh, how are we to handle this? What are we supposed to do in response? The people need a press release. Uh, they need to know how we view this rabbi, this teacher, this miracle worker, this man who's been doing all kinds of miracles and has gotten a drawing and a, a following throughout the whole land. What are we going to do with them? And we understood and saw from that passage they refused to submit. Uh, they maintained their stubborn rebellion against Jesus Christ, their rejection of him. They remained steadfast in that, uh, him as the Messiah. And they said, all right, let's put him to death. Uh, let's conspire together to, to kill Jesus Christ. And uh, we saw in that passage that uh, he was no longer in public after that until the time appointed by God. And so then here in Matthew 22... Uh, Christ has gone through just a tremendous number of questions. We just looked at a few of them or glanced over them a little bit. Each of these groups came, Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, and uh, the lawyer comes and asks a question of Christ, and we understand what they're trying to do trip him up. They're trying to expose something in him that would cause him to lose favor with the people. And uh, uh, they were trying to get him to contradict to the law. They were trying to say, okay, look, he's not that great of a teacher. He, he, he misquoted the law or he's blasphemous. And uh, so they're trying to uh, trip him up one way or the other, make him look uh, bad in front of the people, kind of uh, maybe even have grounds to charge him with blasphemy. Whatever the case, they tried this, and yet in the face of it all, Jesus Christ thrived. He, he answered the questions perfectly. He endured it all. And in fact, the Bible tells us they were left in astonishment, and they were left marveling at his words. In fact, look there with me, Matthew chapter 22. Look at verse 22. Let's just see a couple of the responses here. When they had heard, verse 22, when they had heard these words, they marveled and left them and went their way. Nothing to say, no response. Wow, look at that answer. That's unbelievable. They marveled at him. Look down at verse 33. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his teaching, his doctrine, his beliefs, what he espoused. He knew the law inside and out. He, he understood the heart of God. He understood who God was and what God wanted. Well, obviously, because he was God. And so they stumbled at this themselves. They were trying to make him trip and fall and stumble. The reality was, 
they stumbled at his responses. They came to the realization, wow, uh, this is amazing. And, and I, I find it humorous. Every time they tried to trip him, up, uh, trip him up, they tried to expose some ineptitude on his part. What does he do? He comes shining through. In uh, the ultimate outcome of their questions, I love this. Luke records it at the end here. Basically, he would put it at the end of uh, verse 40, all right, here in our, our, our current passage. And here, here was what Luke recorded. And after that, they durst not ask him any question at all. Matthew puts it after the, the passage we're going to study tonight, verse 46 is where he puts it. But I like Luke puts it after this, after that. The last question the lawyer asks, he refutes it, he answers it well, and they're like, uh-uh, we're, no. We durst not ask any more questions. The word durst literally means dare. It means to venture, to ask. It means to have boldness to do it. They lost their boldness. And I find this amazing. I find this encouraging. They'd come and they'd ask Christ, trying to trip him up, trying to make him look silly, trying to cause him to lose favor with the people, ask him all these questions, and he answered every single one of them. Why? Because, my friend, God is wisdom. Jesus Christ is wisdom. He is truth. And so trying to trip Jesus Christ up with the scriptures uh, is ludicrous. Ludicrous. Uh, Because John chapter 1, he is the word. And so reality was it it seems silly and he proved it wrong every step of the way. And yet, and yet, okay, he, he gave them every proof they needed that he was the Messiah and yet they rejected it all. So were they really trying to see if he was the Messiah, or were they just trying to get him out of the way so they could worship the Messiah of their own making? Certainly it would be the latter, as we see that they refused to come, uh, fall under his leadership, recognize him as the Messiah and as the Savior. So what I like about this is, as Luke puts it here, they, they dare not ask him any more questions. And you can just imagine, Jesus Christ says, I got a question for you. That's a little scary, isn't it? Jesus Christ turns the tables. Now he's going to ask them a question. Look with me, if you will, verse 41 of our passage, and we get to it here. Verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, and remember, they were gathered together to listen to the lawyer who was one of theirs, ask Jesus Christ the question, trying to trip him up, okay, tempt him, as even the passage says elsewhere, or even here in verse 35, too, tempting him, okay? So now Christ says, okay, I'm going to ask you a question. Notice it. Jesus asked them, saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. He saith unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? (laughs) And uh, I can just imagine, okay? You remember back in school when the teacher asked a hard question and everybody's trying to get everybody else to answer it? They look for the smart kid in class. Everybody just looks to them. You better answer this. Could you imagine that happening among the Pharisees? Who's the oldest Pharisee? Let's point to them. Let's get them to answer that, okay? Or at least somebody who likes to guess. Let's get them to answer, okay? And, and, and they're looking around. They, have no, they, they don't have any idea. In fact, this really, if you could say it, it solidified uh, uh, what Christ had just done to them. In other words, they had, uh, not only was he able to wisely and astutely answer every one of their questions, but now he's asking the questions they can't answer it they're not quite sure what to say. They, he's literally tripped them up. They were trying to trip him up, but he has in turn tripped them up. Now, we won't get into great detail about the question that he asked here uh, in the sense of the, the, the meat of it and, and what he asked about. We'll get to the, the question at its base and its root. But suffice it to say, when the Pharisees came back, and you see it in verse number 42, 
They say unto him, the son of David. That was their answer. He asked them, who, who is, whose son is the Messiah? Whose is he? Okay. It, was their answer correct? Well, we would say this. Their answer was certainly correct, but it was inadequate. It was correct, but inadequate. Okay? It, it, it did not fulfill everything to the Messiah. It, it, didn't, it didn't go far enough, could we put it that way. In fact, it, it revealed something that they neglected much of. The Pharisees, and much within Judaism, they love to focus on the human heritage of the Messiah. He'll fulfill the, he'll sit on the throne of David. He'll be of the line of David. They love to emphasize that, but they neglected to emphasize the divine descent of the Messiah. They love to say, hey, he's coming from our patriarchs. He's coming from this long line. King David, he's of King David. And boy, they love that and to emphasize that. And that was the qualification in their minds, the greatest qualification for who the Messiah would be. And yet here was Christ. He goes, wait a second. Let me quote for you the psalmist himself. Let me call, quote David in Psalm 110. And he posits this question, the simple questions to them. He says basically this. How can the Messiah be both David's son and David's Lord. Hmm. The Pharisees are looking at each other like, huh, how are we going to answer that? How can he be both? And my friend, the simple answer to that is you, in, in most of us here, I would venture a guess, could answer that. How, how is that possible? The simple answer is this, the deity of Jesus Christ. The hypostatic union, the reality that he's 100% man and 100% God, and the reality is this. Yes, he will be born in human form of the line of David, but my friend, the same way that he is the son of David and greater so, he is the son of God. And here's where the Pharisees, they just couldn't, they couldn't get themselves to, to, to come around this and, and answer, well, he, he's 100% God and, and he's the son of God himself. Oh, he, yes, he was from the Davidic line, but he's also the son of God. They could not answer him. They could not reason that truth out in their minds. And uh, they, they certainly feared that they would help the cause of Christ multiple. Now listen, here's the point of this, okay? Whenever Christ is speaking, typically in the temple or the synagogues and in many other places, the Pharisees would always be, a, a, excuse me, he was talking to the Pharisees often, the scribes or somebody else, but the multitudes would be around. The people would gather as he was talking. And often when he was responding to the Pharisees, he was exposing, as we talked about last week, he was showing what uh, was lacking in their teaching, even in their living. He was exposing the hypocrites they were for the people around and so this question is challenging them uh, in such a way that that if they would have answered well he is you know messiah is both the son of david and son of god you know what immediately the people would have thought oh, wow it wasn't that long ago it wasn't that long ago that this same jesus was baptized and there was a voice from heaven that said what that this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased and even more fresh in their memories. And something that the Pharisees wouldn't want the people around to think of because it was still ringing in their ears, even though it happened a day or two earlier, was what occurred in Matthew chapter 21, verse 9. Just a couple days or a day earlier. Look at it with me. Matthew chapter 21. Look at verse number 9. Certainly you remember this. Christ is entering Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 21, verse number 9. Notice it, and the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, notice it, Hosanna to the, what's the term? Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of David. 
Hosanna, or blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is the Christ. He's riding in a triumphal entry. People are laying things down in front of him. And, and boy, just celebrating who he is. Now, understand, right there in those two illustrations in expressions number one we have first his baptism for those who remember now let's also remind ourselves when john the baptist was in the wilderness it it must have seemed like half of judea and half of israel went out to see him people went out there to see him including some of the pharisees and others and no doubt i i i would suppose and certainly i think is a good chance that some of them were there when jesus christ came to be baptized they saw that and people heard that voice and and certainly certainly the rumor of it would have spread and they were like i mean we got to separate this idea that he is god's son away from this man and then just a day or two earlier the people were screaming as jesus christ rides in hosanna to the who the son of david See, this is their desire to separate this as much as they could. And so they're very careful about how they answer this. They are very careful about any support they would lend to who Jesus Christ claims to be. His claim that he is God, that he's the son of God, that he is the Messiah. And they weren't about to touch that with a 10-foot pole. And so that's why we read here, Matthew sticks this verse, verse 46 and 22. He, says, he sticks it after that, okay? Christ asked it, no man was able to answer him a word. What do we call that? They, you stumped them. When someone doesn't answer your question, ah, they have nothing to say, no words to say, you've stumped them. Neither durst there's that dare any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Man, I love that. Can I just tell you, boy, our, 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 our Savior never lost a debate. He never lost a question and answer time. <laughs> he always had the right answers. All right. Now, I, I don't want to get too much into that, but I think that's important for us to understand that. But I want to focus on the main truth of this question. And, and would you see it back in verse number 42? Here's the question. Okay. What think ye of Christ? I want to spend a few moments tonight focusing on that question. Remember, they got together in John eleven forty seven, 47. They said, what do we with Christ? But here Christ, is he's asking the question. He says this, what think ye of Christ? Now, there's four truths that I think are crucial and important that we find in this question that it demonstrates, okay? The first one is this, and it's a very basic one, but I think it's a, an important one, okay? The question reveals man's unique power to think. The question itself reveals man's unique power to think. Here is man separated from the rest of creation. He's created in the very image of God. And I, and I honestly believe we'll, we'll get to heaven and we'll fully understand what that really means in every aspect of being created in the image of God. Certainly we know a good idea and a good thought of it, but I, I think even heaven will reveal some ways in which you are, and I are so unique in creation in some ways that we are created in the very image of God. And we don't fully understand probably all of it, but... We do know that we as mankind are given the ability to think like no other part of creation. Okay? Dog lovers, I'm sorry, but your dogs do not think like you. Okay? Cat lovers, may, no, just kidding. They don't either. Okay? No other part of creation is anywhere close to having the ability to do that. Oh, boy, our minds are wondrous creation. And children, uh, there used to be a saying when uh, your parents and certainly myself were, <laughs> were young, it was, a, a good mind is a terrible thing to waste. Do you remember that? Good mind is a terrible thing to waste. Every human has one. 
God has blessed us with the wondrous ability. I mean, you, you think about what we can do. We can think. We can ponder. We can meditate. We can reason. We can logically assess something. We can logically connect the dots of facts and truths and such. We can remember Hey, math students, we can calculate, okay? I, I often am reminded I had math teachers that would never let us use a calculator all through high school. They would say, use your God-given calculator. And then somebody in wisecrack would raise their hand, I lost mine. <laughs> okay. No, you didn't. It's still there. You just haven't used it. The batteries may be dead. Uh, <laughs> but we have a God-given calculator, right? We're able to calculate and so on and so forth. I mean, if you take the, the, the smallest part of creation that might have the ability to think at all, it is very limited when compared to the reasoning skills given to mankind. No other part of creation has been given. Now, there, we often will say this, and certainly it's a biblical principle, to whom much has been given, much more is required. For you and I, with us having the ability to think and to reason and to do much more than any other part of creation in our, in our logic and our reasoning and such, well, God has also told us and required us to apply this wondrous ability in consideration of the Christ, his Savior, his Messiah. Okay, now, humans, you, you alone, okay? I mean, it, it, it seems silly, but nowhere in scriptures are you and I supposed to witness to dogs and animals and any such things. Why? Because to mankind alone is given the responsibility to apply the unique power to think that we have to the subject matter of Jesus Christ. What have you done with Christ? What do you think of Christ? And so when Jesus Christ says this to the Pharisees, he's really saying it to all the multitude. And I'll say this many times during this message, this sermon. I, I, Jesus Christ was very good, not only speaking to the specific audience, but speaking to everybody that's overhearing it. When he says to those Pharisees, what think ye of Christ? Can I, man, I just imagine Jesus Christ maybe caught somebody in the audience's their eye. And it struck their heart. Wait a minute, he's talking to me. He's just not talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to me. He's asking me, what do I think of Jesus Christ? You know, it is sad, and young people, I'd encourage you, we have a few here tonight, I, how sad it is that there are some people who just don't want to think. They don't want to use their God-given ability to think, and you know, they're shallow in their thinking. They don't want to think and consider deep things. They, they don't want to consider weighty matters of life, both temporal and eternal. More than one time, I, as I've worked in the uh, secular world and so forth in several different places, there, there have been times when Jesus Christ came up or God came up, and I, I remember succinctly that there have been guys who have told me and men say, hey, I, man, I don't want to think about that. That makes my head hurt. You ever hear something like that? Oh, I don't, well, I, I, you know, that's too deep. I, I, I don't want to think about that here at work. They don't want to think. They don't want to use their minds. They don't want to engage it. They don't, they don't want to spend the time. But listen, my friend, you and I have been given the wondrous ability to think, and every single person ought to be asked, what think ye of Christ? Because the day is coming, they'll be asked this, what have you done with Christ? When they enter eternity, have you put your faith and trust in him? What have you done with him? And in order to put your faith and trust in him, friend, you must think of Christ. Think of what the scriptures present, as we'll see tonight, the, the reality of it. You know, the fact is this, they, uh, let it never be said of you, <laughs> they weren't a thinking man or lady. 
Let it never be said that we don't engage our minds. Yes, thinking requires effort, and yet we ought to be willing to put forth the effort and then encourage others to do so. Can I encourage you? I, 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 one of those, certainly more than probably one of those times when someone said that to me, oh, it's too deep to think of. That, that kind of stymied me. That kind of stopped me from continuing my witnessing when I was younger and things like that. My friend, if somebody says that to you, don't let that stop you. Push them to think about Christ. You know, there have been times when uh, you push forward and witnessing and challenging somebody. And have you heard this? I'm sure you have. Some of you have heard this. Well, I've never thought about that before. I've never thought about that before. And what a great delight it is when somebody says to you after you shared the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, I never thought of that before. And we have been a tool that God has used to challenge them to think on Jesus Christ. To ask them the question, maybe in a different form, what think ye of Christ? There's a second truth here that we find in this question is this. Number two, question revolves around the right thinking concerning Christ. Uh, certainly it is important, as this question posits, it reveals man's ability to think. Now it also revolves around the right thinking concerning Jesus Christ. Okay? It, it's noteworthy here, and I think this is very important for us to uh, not miss. It's noteworthy that Christ did not say this. What do you think of me? He didn't say that. He said, what do you think of the Christ? What do you think of the Christ, the, the Messiah, the promised one of your scriptures, the deliverer, the, the one that you folks speak of, the promised one of the scriptures, the, the redeemer, the long-awaited one? You see, uh, very important that he appeals in such a way, not, not what do you think of me, but what do you think of the Christ? What does you think of him? And here's some important truths that we see when it comes to this uh, right thinking of Jesus Christ that have to be present, ingredients. The first is this, okay? It must be informed by the Scriptures. One of the things Christ tried to do was help the Pharisees uh, apply the Scriptures they knew. And even other Scriptures tie them together. Sometimes they were very selective in the Scriptures they used in, in different ways and different forms. And so he's challenging them, and certainly is true for us, any appeals about the thinking of Christ must be informed by the Scriptures. It's the Bible we must appeal to for the true and right understanding of who Christ is, what Christ will do, all the facts about the Messiah. Now, I have in my library many books that are, are about Christ. In fact, I was uh, looking one. In fact, it's funny because of our, our theme. I found it later. I think it was one of my father's books. It was entitled Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I was looking at a book today, um, uh, the, the, the one entitled simply um, The Christ Everyone must think about <laughs> and uh, many different books entitled by christ okay books are great i love reading books i enjoy doing so but my friend don't turn to books to find out about christ until you've looked in the scriptures any thinking about jesus christ must be informed from the scriptures that's where we find our facts our, we must search the scriptures to think rightly about christ who he is what interaction i ought to have with him what my relationship should be with him who he is where he came from all these things must be founded and informed by the scriptures secondly another add to that in addition letter b any thinking about christ must include the entirety of scriptures so key, so key. It does not behoove us to formulate our thoughts about Christ from one singular text or just a handful of texts or one testament and not the other, or whatever the case may be, while ignoring the plethora of truths and information scattered from cover to cover. One of the great truths I love is this, and never forget it. 
your Bible, my Bible, it speaks of Christ. He is, he is found in the first verse and the last verse and everywhere in between. It speaks of Christ. In the beginning, God, Jesus Christ. And the very last verse mentions our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all throughout the cover, from cover to cover, all throughout the Scriptures, Jesus Christ is there. My friend, the entirety of Scriptures must be taken to inform us the entirety of it. We have presented to us his what? Eternality throughout the Scriptures. His work prior to man's existence. His oversight of man's history. His offices. His works down through the ages. His birth. His death. His resurrection. His ascension. His intercession even now. His headship of the church. His future return to rule and reign. His eventual judgment of the world and of those who rejected him. And so much more. Everything you want to know about Jesus Christ is there. And when you and I think of him, it must be informed by the entirety of the Scriptures. You see, to base our thinking on Jesus Christ on one text or a select few, it gives us an incomplete view of Jesus Christ. It gives us the, uh, the complete picture when we take all of Scriptures. So our right thinking must be based upon that. Thirdly, the right thinking of Christ must be independent of partial views of Christ. Of partial views, independent, re- rejecting those things, independent of partial views of Christ. There's much false teaching and cults and denominations that have em- embraced false and partial views of Christ. The Jews themselves are a perfect example. Even this passage, yeah, they, they weren't, the Pharisees were not quick to say, well, he's of divine descendants. No, they were more emphasizing the humanity of him and that he comes from the lineage of David to the exclusion of that. You see, they had focused far too long on Christ being the son of David, and in doing so, they neglected to emphasize the simple reality that he is the son of God. That he would come from God and is God himself. Uh, why? Well, certainly in context, they, they wanted to reject Jesus Christ and his demonstration by miracles and amazing acts. And yet, their response to his revelation of who he was, crucify him, crucify him. You see, friend, down through the ages, others have made the same mistake that the Jews have. Others have made him merely a manifestation of God, not God himself. Others have come along and they say, oh, no, no, no. See, Jesus Christ is like, a, he's a brother of Satan. He's a brother of Satan. He's a created being. He's a brother of Satan. Others have come along and, and totally denied his deity and just say, well, he was a good teacher. He was a good man. So these partial views of Christ, they often cause problems and certainly form false doctrines, all from that inaccurate partial view of Jesus Christ. Oh, there's many today that you and I will talk to that don't have a full, complete view of Jesus Christ upon which to think and make an informed decision. So our part is to shed the light of God's Word on that, to help them to see that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, Jesus Christ is there. And it informs us of who he is and all that he does and all that we must consider in light of that. The third truth is this, and this is where Christ was really getting at, I think, as far as maybe to many of those listening to, including the Pharisees. Number three, the question requires each to personally think of Christ. The question requires each to personally think of Jesus Christ. You see, it is not Christ asking, so, so who do people think that I am? He asked that 
right? I mean, there are times when, when he asks something similar to that. That's not this time. This is not what he's saying. He's saying, not what do people in general think. What do your friends think? What does your family think? What does your church teach and preach and think about Christ? Notice it, but what do ye think? Now, I'll tell you, I, I'm always... I chuckle when I talk into somebody, I knock on a door, whatever the case, wherever it is, and they say, and I say, you know what? Yeah, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Well, my church believes. Well, my church teaches. Well, fantastic, but Christ said, what do ye think? Personal, what, what is your belief about Christ? Who do you see him as? I love this truth and never forget it. Never has God given the ability or the responsibility to any man to think for others in matters pertaining to the Christian faith. Never has God said, okay, there ought to be a pope, there ought to be a bishop, there ought to be a pastor who thinks for others, who, who does the thinking for people. And, and, and there are times, and we, we're studying Sunday school and the, the corrupt Catholic church and other places and other church, Eastern Orthodox, where people in power and wanting influence and things, they decided, hey, we'll think for you. We'll just tell you what to think and what to believe. My friend, God created humans to think. God wants us to think. He wants us to give us the truth and the facts to think so that every person can say, what do I think of Jesus Christ? Here's what I think. This is what the Scriptures say, and I believe it. Because this is what God said, who Christ is. So he has challenged us in that. And yet, reality is, so many people want other people to do the thinking for them. You see, as a pastor, my responsibility is not to think for you, but to help you think for yourself. Just like a teacher in school, okay? They're not there to do the assignment for you. They're helping you to learn how to do the assignment, to think for yourself. So it is for myself. My job, responsibility, is to give you facts found in Scripture, to present the truth, thus saith the Lord, and then to encourage and exhort each one of you to go. And how does the Bible put it? Think on these things. Think on these things. Take them with you. Meditate. Chew them up spiritually. Chew over and meditate. Go over them. I love how Paul put it. We preach Christ. And friend, that's what we do. We preach Christ. Here's the truth. Here's the facts about Christ. Here's what the scriptures say about Christ. Now go and think on these things. You know, as we said Christ, when he was asking these questions and making these statements to the Pharisees and others, as those people were gathered around, uh, uh, he was talking to everyone in that audience, everyone that was listening. And I, I can just envision, you know, him catching the eye of someone, as I said earlier, and just hitting their heart, and certainly the Holy Spirit driving it home too. So the question tonight for you is, I, I, what do ye think of Christ? Who is Christ to you? And what bearing does that have on your life? How does it dictate your every decision? How, how does it guide and direct you in the decisions you make and the choices you make? See, it's a question that challenges each one of us to what? Personally think of Christ. It's great that your family thinks of, uh, highly of Christ or thinks this of Christ, but what do you think of Jesus Christ? It's wonderful that we as a church preach Christ, and we ought to, and you ought to not go to a church that doesn't preach Jesus Christ, but the reality is, what do ye think of Jesus Christ? What do you think tomorrow of Jesus Christ when you wake up? Is he your Lord to serve, or is he just, uh, for some like in this world, a curse word, or just somebody you don't even think about? Or what? Who is Christ to you? What do you think of Christ? Last but not least, number four, you see it on your outline there. <laughs> Probably my favorite. The question reflects the transcendent importance of the right thinking of Christ. 
Okay? That's a big word, right? But it's very simply defined. Transcended. I mean, it, 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 it goes over everything. It, it surpass, it's not limited by space and time and age. It transcends everything. It, it's always current. It's always relevant. It, it, it's not going to end with your life, obviously, what you think of Jesus Christ. It transcends even this life. It goes beyond it in that sense. It's a, it's a good one because when Christ asks this question, he's making it clear what you think of Jesus Christ, what you think of the Savior is of the greatest importance. Why is it of the great, greatest importance? Never forget these three things. Letter A, all spiritual and eternal welfare depends upon the right thinking of Jesus Christ. All spiritual and eternal welfare depends upon the right thinking of Jesus Christ. Okay? Your welfare, how you are doing, Depends upon how you, what you think of Jesus Christ, how you think of him. Here, temporally, but also eternally. You see, nothing that you can think about or think of will impact your spiritual well-being and your eternal existence more than how you think about Jesus Christ. Nothing will. Of all the things you can think about, of all the things you can meditate on, nothing will impact your spiritual well-being and your eternal existence more so. It alone is the great determiner of your welfare now and for all of eternity. And so it begs the question, what think ye of Christ? What do you think of him? Because it really does determine your welfare today and your welfare for all of eternity. Letter B, it also (laughs) impacts us. Why it's so important? Because your moral welfare, your moral welfare and societal moral welfare depends upon it. See, what you think of Christ, your relationship to him, whether he deserves to be served as your Lord, whether he is your Savior that deserves to be lived for, henceforth not live unto ourselves, but unto him that died for us, uh, whatever you think will determine currently your moral welfare. And certainly it impacts society. I like this statement. You see it on your outline there. Your, Your moral makeup is a direct derivative of your thinking of Christ. So what you are morally will be determined by what you think of Jesus Christ. If he's worth living for, is he, if he is your Savior, your Redeemer that, that died for you and you, you don't want to live for anybody else, he is the Lord of your life, that would determine your moral welfare. Because my friend, if the Savior of heaven and the Savior of your life says, be holy even as I am holy, then you will pursue holiness. If he says be righteous, you will pursue righteousness. Whatever your Savior says, you will desire to obey him. What a difference in the world, in society, it would make if everyone gave Jesus Christ his rightful place in our thinking. I mean, honestly, if everybody just considered Jesus Christ, oh yeah, he's the Lord, he's the king of everything, and he is God eternal. My, what a difference that would make, wouldn't it? And you say, oh, Pastor Henry, we shouldn't even think about that. That's not even, I mean, that could never happen. Well, my friend, can I tell you, it will happen one day. There's a day coming where Jesus Christ will sit on the throne. And every knee shall bow. And my friend, everyone will see and think of Jesus Christ for who he is. God, the king of this world and of heaven, the ruler of all and the Lord of all. My, what a day that will be. When he is rightfully viewed and thought of. Finally, the last statement here, you see it. Letter C. Unity among believers depends upon the right thinking of Christ. 
Here's another reason of why this is transcendent in its importance. Unity among the believers depends on the right thinking. Nothing promotes unity in the church like proper thinking of Christ. You see, when it is his name above all names, boy, that, that helps to bring unity. I'm not making a name for myself. I'm not here to defend my name. I'm not here to do these things. No, no, no. It is his name above all names. When, as the Bible instructs, his mind is in each one of us, boy, that makes us, as the term puts it, like-minded. And that breeds unity. When all seek his glory and seek to please him and put him first, and we strive to obey his word and everything we do, unity abounds. Unity abounds. Uh, it transcends then that thinking of Christ. Boy, it transcend, it's a transcendent importance, our thinking of Christ. So when we come to it and we see that Jesus Christ asked this simple question, what think ye of Christ? Four important truths are wrapped up into this little question. Number one, that you and I as human beings have the power, unique power to think. An ability that no other part of creation has, which is, Pretty amazing, something we ought to be thankful for. Number two, also the question revolves around the right thinking of God, Christ. There are some people who think of Christ but do not have the right thinking. So when Jesus Christ says, what think ye of Christ, it, it is the impetus and the, the motivation, the challenge for you and I to have the right thinking of Christ. And then obviously also the question requires for each of us personally to think of Christ. Individually. Every person here, every young person, every person listening, the reality is we are challenged on a daily basis to ensure that our thinking of Jesus Christ is right. Why? Because then number four comes, it reflects, the question does, the transcendent importance of the right thinking of Christ. It determines so much. Our spiritual welfare and well-being right now and in eternity. Our moral welfare right now, how we live, and certainly even society will impact that and then Last but not least, the unity of the bride of Christ, his church. It impacts it all. So I ask you tonight, what think you of Christ? What have you thought of him today? Has he crossed your mind today? Jesus Christ, your Savior and your God. Brother Clay, if you'll bring those prayer requests this way, we'll spend some time.